I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. And I would do anything to make it a better place. Maybe if he had an iron suit or a magic hammer, explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast, the home of the Marvel Netflix TV shows Daredevil, aka Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and The Iron Fist, all leading to the miniseries The Defenders. This is episode 10 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we'll be looking at Daredevil episode 6, entitled Condemned. I'm one of your hosts, John, The Iron Fist by day, Daniel Rand by night, and occasionally Jessica Jones on a Wednesday. I'm Irene, the unbreakable cage. And I'm Derek, your lawyer by day, defender by night. And um, so... Uh, John, John, you've taken three characters this time. Wow. Yeah, I just thought, you know, like my points when I'm asked to do one point, I'll, mm-hmm. ta- I'll take three. <laughs> so I thought, well, Chris isn't here with us today, so um, I thought I would be his Jessica Jones. I see, I see. You know? Good stuff. Um, what a week, guys, what a week. We've put out five episodes of uh, our reviews of Daredevil so far. Uh, getting some great traction and thanks so much for all your feedback um, this week it's been great to see it's been great to see it rack up um, yeah and we've also had tons of trailers out this week for fantastic movies that we're looking forward to like Star Wars came out this week Batman v Superman Donna Justice the the longest title in movie history <laughs> um, and we also have Ant-Man trailer came out this week for another Marvel movie looks coming good. up yeah, yeah. Look really good looks really good loved the Thomas the Tank Engine skit <laughs> as well and um, I am a slight train nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say an anorak, so to speak, but you know, just don't don't hate me, people. But um, nobody. I did train, love the whole kind of that Western vibe of the Thomas Tank Engine coming <laughs> down the train, and then obviously the crash and the camera pan- panning back, and it's just like a regular model railway sort mm-hmm. of going beep. <laughs> Loved it. It's really good very fun. Funny. Yeah. Very funny. And great to see uh, Paul Rudd in the uh, in the role of uh, of Ant-Man. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The buggy eyes too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really good. And the big bad as well. Yes. He was in another Netflix show, mm-hmm. um, House of Cards. That's right. Peter. Peter from, uh, from House of Cards. Yeah, one of my favourite characters in, in House of Cards, actually. Corey Stoll. Yes, that's it. That's it. Thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, very good. So we will be covering uh, Ant-Man as we get as it gets released in uh, Irish cinemas later on this year. Um, just to give you a little rundown of what we're how we're going to be covering our episodes going forward for Daredevil, we do two episodes a week now. Uh, one comes out on Tuesday. One comes out on Thursday. Um, next week we have the big release of Avengers: Age of Ultron. So uh, we will be releasing. This episode on Tuesday, we'll be releasing our next episode of Daredevil on Thursday, and next Tuesday after that will be our review of The Avengers, so uh, make sure you tune in for that one. Yeah, looking forward to that now. Um, the trailers have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really kind of got me very excited for that. Yes, there's no strings on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think with that, we should maybe just go over some of the feedback before we go into the review. Um, so we have um, our first piece of feedback from a lady called Rose. Mm-hmm. Rose sent in some feedback saying, thank you guys for pulling this episode together. Let me take a moment to say I really like you you guys and I feel delighted that Irene is on the show. Oh, we're, we're delighted Irene's on the show. <laughs> Are you delighted to be on the show? I'm Irene? delighted to be here too. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so she goes on to say, uh, well, I have to be honest, if there is one thing I didn't like about the series was the world on fire vision. Uh, let me tell you why. I believe that you can explain Daredevil's world without a visual representation of it. Oh, but it looked nice. It's a nice touch, yeah, but it leads to misconception. People will think that he is slightly sighted or sighted enough to jump over rooftops without bumping in, into anything. Uh, and that ain't true. It minimized the importance of the other sen- senses. The second time I watched the series with my cousin, and as Matt went went into the office, she said he's such a hypocrite pretending to be blind. Um, she wasn't paying much attention indeed as her baby girl was around, but I think that proves my point. Now, we did talk about this last week. Chris specifically was calling out the fact that uh, the world on fire vision, as, as uh, Rose has said here, was a really good representation of, of, of Matt's 
partial sightedness essentially but we did discuss the fact that he he also calls out that it's a combination of all of his other senses together that gives him some form of sight um what do you think of, of rose's point on this it's certainly an interesting one i hadn't kind of thought about it like that i was i would have said i would have been with um with chris that it was a, a nice representation um, of that, I mean, initially, anyway, with the whole episode, I thought with World on Fire, I thought that was alluding to all the bombings that Fisk uh, was was carrying out against the Russians, and that this was um, this almost laying waste to those elements in Hell's Kitchen that Fisk and the other members of the crime syndicate want to get rid of, i.e., the Russians. So mm-hmm. um, that's how I viewed it, and. Until Chris kind of brought up the fact that, yeah, it looked like the world was on fire in terms of Matt Murdock's view of the world. So I can see that. Um, but nonetheless, if you're just coming into it, it could be... Um, I think it's a valid point that Rose is making, definitely. Um, I was thinking that in this one, you're condemned. Where he's looking, there's a bit where he's looking down at Vlad on the ground. And apart from the sides of the picture being slightly skewed, mm. it's like that is... They're they're showing you what he's seeing, right. and it's it's basically perfect except for the sides of the picture are skewed, and I, that's the, I, that's actually what I thought. Right, was they shouldn't really do that because that does make it look like that's what he's seeing, which mm-hmm. it isn't what he's seeing. It's it's everything together that that's what he picks up on. Yeah, but it isn't actually what he's seen with just his eyes. Yeah, you know no, I mean? totally understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally understand. I think they have to make some kind of decision of, of showing something at some point. I think Chris was was speaking about, you know, you'd like to see it in one of the fight scenes for a very long period of time. I don't think you need to. I think they've shown enough um, so that you get the impression of how of how Matt sees. I'm hoping we don't get a three or four minute scene done in this vision. It'd be very visually distracting to see, yeah. to see it that way. And then it's um, really hard to not see it as that is what he's seeing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, so Rose goes on to say uh, another point that she makes is about uh, Claire and Matt's relationship. I kind of understand how it developed so quickly. When you have a secret as dark as I dress up at, at night um, <laughs> and you can finally share it with someone you feel deeply connected to that person you're talking to, uh, even though you might have no intention to be with them. Matt kisses Claire and when he arrives at the office, he already starts to flirt with Karen, saying he's uh, saying he likes the sound of her voice. And that is so typically Matt. No one can deny that he is a womanizer. What brings me to my other disagree- disagreement point? Karen and Foggy as well. Yeah. So um, Contentious. Yes. So, <laughs> so Rose goes on to say, this is the first episode we disagreed so much. I totally like Foggy and Karen's relationship. Karen, as most women who cross Matt and Foggy's path, feels attracted to the blind guy. Um, I mean, come on. He's such a cinnamon roll. That's an interesting phrase, Rose. Um, but you know what? Let's face it. Matt's a... Exclusive deleted. Um, a duck, I think. I think it's something like that, yeah. Uh, he has never rained and he seems to like her but never gets any closer. The whole Cardena situation uh, made Karen closer to Foggy and she started to enjoy his company, but deep inside she's still attracted to Matt. That's what the whole touch my face was about. We women are complicated, she says. Um, any thoughts on uh, Matt and Claire? Or um, I'm not really sure that, that Rose is completely disagreeing with, is there? Because uh, yeah. we did say the part about the, you know, obviously she's attracted to Matt. Mm-hmm. The only part that's a little bit different maybe is that she actually likes Karen where she was annoying me and Chris. And I think you even said, John, that you'd like to see it kind of going down the path of the rehab thing. Because we were just like, that would liven her up a bit. Right. Yeah, I think but, she needs to kind of foot start breaking apart emotionally yeah. or psychologically or something or being terrorised again because... It's it, a bit more lively. It, it's it's a strange, it's a destructive mode. I think I was kind of saying. And yeah. I want to start to see that because yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to really start to see that. Um, I would say I have a deep dark secret as well when I dress up as Jessica Jones on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that relationship between Matt and Claire would maybe move much quicker because mm-hmm. of this trust. Um, that he has placed in her, she knows his identity. So this is kind of quite an intense relationship, and maybe from that you've got the the more sexual or the more attraction mm-hmm. and going on. Whereas with Karen, it's really uh, Matt's dealings with Karen, or should I say, Daredevil's dealings with with Karen, was because of 
him trying to clean up Hell's Kitchen yeah. um, and trying to find out about then this whole uh, kingpin, the Wilson Fisk element. He, uh, he didn't intend on ever interacting with this Lady Claire Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, it was by accident. Now he feels a sense that he has to protect her from the Russians. Um, obviously, we'll see in this episode maybe not so much anymore, but um, nonetheless, that seems to have moved very quickly then to be more than just about protecting her, but also an attraction. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some good points there, Rose, and just one other point from her. Uh, she says, Vanessa and Wilson are amazing too, and the parallels between the good guy and the bad guy are just amazing. This is so central for the plot. This line is not clear, in, uh, in fact, and that's what this is all about. Uh, Wilson Fisk is able to transform Hell's Kitchen on a big scale since he doesn't have any problems about killing. Matt, on the other hand, operates too small, trying to respect the line of what he believes is moral or immoral. If they're still breathing, it's okay, essentially. Um, Rose says, sorry for the long mail. Best wishes. But thanks very much, Rose. Really good to hear your, uh, really good to hear your opinions and your thoughts. Um, anybody else who wants to send us feedback, you can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Uh, we have some more feedback in, John. Yeah, we also received on Twitter um, from one of our Gotham TV podcast listeners, uh, Doug Green. So thanks, Doug. He sent in um, a tweet. Basically, the way to a man's heart is through his fax machine. Classic. Um, <laughs> spoiler, you got more guesses right than wrong in the last episode, but I won't say which it is. Um, <laughs> so that's really nice to know that we're kind of guessing correctly here on... Um, future episodes of Daredevil Mm -hmm. and basically we are being held back here by Derek from binge watching all these Daredevil episodes and it's slightly killing us all including Derek in fairness but at least you get some of my my uh, my wonderful sense of humor sometimes on these podcasts. So, uh, so that, that, that surely will make up for not being able to binge watch Daredevil. Yeah, but, but certainly the whole fax machine was a real nice little touch to have this honking big piece of technology yeah. sort of brought into the office. I do miss fax machines. I have to say. <laughs> don't use them quite as often as used to. No, I haven't used a vacuum machine in probably 10 years. Um, but thanks, Doug, so much for, for that feedback. Um, keep it coming in. Um, and again, if you want to uh, tweet at us, um, follow us at DefendersCast on Twitter um, and tweet away. Um, we love tweeting. Tweet, tweet. Spr- <laughs> spring birds. <laughs> um, Rebecca Bridger on Facebook, she said to us, um, hey, just thought I'd say I'm really enjoying the podcast. It keeps me company as I'm working. Can't wait to get your reviews on some of the things that happen later in the series, but good call to podcast as you go. I like the speculation. Excellent. That's good, actually, that people think that's a, it's a good thing instead of that we're kind of maybe a bit behind what they've seen. Yeah. It's nice <laughs> to know that they're actually maybe watching with us. Exactly. It's nice, isn't it? I think I think there's a there's the impression that a lot of people will have watched all 13 episodes um, at the same time. The whole thing about Netflix, and I've been seeing it all over the place, there's people that are only two episodes in now, there's people that have finished and are on their third rewatching. It's In fact, some of our listeners are, are like that as well. So, um, so we thought it was easier to podcast each individual episode about knowing what's happening in the next episode, because that means you can pick up our episodes and listen to them back to back if you want to, listen to five in a row, listen to three in a row, similar to the way you do Netflix. So, And I mean, we're hoping to do sort of a big kind of roundup or... or overview of all the episodes right at the end, a bit like a round table like we've done in um, for Gotham TV podcast or our sister podcast. So um, that's when we can take in all 13 episodes together and the series as a whole to say, yeah, all, all this through line works or, or didn't work. You know, th- those kinds of um, things that we can talk about, That that's when we can do that big thing and that's what we intend on doing, whereas this... It's nice to keep the tension up, actually. Um, we're on episode six at the moment, so um, <laughs> I can't wait to get to episode seven. I know. Derek won't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We're doing a service. It's a service here that we're that we're providing. Um, so yes, thanks very much to uh, to Rebecca. Um, you can join us on Facebook. Just search Defenders TV Podcast as well. You can get uh, our either our group or our uh, or our page uh, or both on Facebook. Um, finally, we have the, our last piece of feedback is from Luby on iTunes. Uh, thank you very much for, for rating us on I, iTunes, Luby. Um, Luby gave us a four-star review. These kind of reviews on iTunes really help people find our podcast uh, amongst all the podcasts that are out there. So uh, really great. Thanks very much for, for providing that. Um, what Luby says is, I love the format, five points each. Can't get enough of the podcast for Daredevil. 
Uh, two of the gentlemen need to get closer to the microphones. I can barely hear them without turning my speakers up too high. Other than that, though, the podcast discussion is very good. Uh, thanks very much, Luby. We do take any kind of feedback um, to heart, so we will. We will obviously we're working hard to make sure that the sound of this podcast is as good as we can possibly get it. Uh, we try to keep this as a as a conversational podcast rather than something that we're reading into a microphone. So sometimes the, the sound might sound quality might dip a little bit, but we'll try and ensure that it that it's uh, as good as we possibly can get it. But thanks very much for your feedback. I sometimes break out into song as well, which has to be edited out. Yeah, that's always my the, the most. <laughs> I know, fun I'm, joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. I am joking. He's not joking. I am joking. If you want to leave us some some feedback on iTunes to help other listeners find us, it would be it's the best way of of, uh, of allowing our podcast to be to be found. So just go to defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes, go into your iTunes account and leave us a review there. Uh, the more stars, the better. Uh, thank you so much for all that feedback and please keep it coming on in and we will certainly look to um, get as many of the items of feedback and any of the comments and discuss them um, into each episode as much as we can Um, but I think with that we can move on to the review of Daredevil episode 6 entitled Condemned so this episode of Daredevil is written by Joe Pekaski, who wrote In the Blood, episode four of, uh, of Daredevil, and Marcus Ramirez, who wrote uh, Rabbit in a Snowstorm, which is episode five. Um, it's also directed by Guy Furland, and when I wrote down his name, I was going, I recognize this guy's, this guy's name, I recognize that he's done, directed something I've covered before. Uh, he actually directed uh, Lovecraft, which is episode 10 of Gotham, which we cover over in Gotham TV podcast. A really good episode of Gotham, actually, so if you want to hear that, pop on over to gothamtvpodcast.com. And you'll hear our, uh, our thoughts on that episode of Gotham. Um, John, would you like to start off and give us your synopsis of this episode? Matt Murdock, as the masked vigilante, manages to escape from his tight situation, taking Vladimir with him as the Russians' base burn around them in the aftermath of the syndicate's move against Vladimir and his organisation. As they look for safety and shelter so Matt can question and interrogate Vladimir, Ben Oryk begins to dig deeper into the information provided by Karen. However, another story begins to develop of cop killings at a building where a Russian mafia leader and a masked man are surrounded by the police as Fisk and Wesley attempt to frame Daredevil in front of the waiting media whilst also tying up loose ends that include the previously reckless Detective Blake. Surrounded, Vladimir and the masked vigilante tentatively and slowly reach an understanding about their common enemy. As Fisk tries to also reach out to his unknown adversary, the bought cops move in, leaving Vladimir to make one last stand against Fisk's men, as Matt Murdock escapes once more from Fisk's grip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting episode, wasn't it? There was a, a lot going on again this episode. Yeah, it's quite dark. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, kind of a bit hopeless in the sense of all these people that you expect to help you under normal situations, like the police mm-hmm. yeah. um, are well. all just bad. Yeah, yeah. Apart really? from maybe one, which I suppose is one of my first points. Okay. So I shall um, say R.I.P. Officer Sullivan. Yeah. yeah. Um, poor, officer. Poor, poor Officer Sullivan. Two months fresh out of the academy um, and finds himself in a pretty, pretty bad situation. Mm-hmm. Firstly, with Matt Murdock's Daredevil. And then secondly, with one of his own colleagues. Um, The thing that I kind of, and the reason why I pull this out is I felt it played really well with sort of what you would expect the normal conventions to be. It was this idea that I think in my notes at the time I was writing, well, are all the cops corrupt? Um, You know, or is maybe this guy not? And... It turns out that he's not, and I love that. I love the fact that we're all expecting each cop that comes into that building to be bought by Fisk, and here we have a fresh rookie um, just doing his job, investigating these noises from the building, going in to arrest what he believes to be someone who is doing bad. Yeah. Um, he has a mask on his on his head. You know, there is that element. Do we trust people that wear masks? to hide their identity. Mm. And he's just heard the screaming from outside the building. Exactly. So I love the way it messed with that convention where actually then he isn't actually a bad guy. Mm -hmm. And then you get Officer Sullivan's response, which is, again, to do his job, which is 
I'm in a building on such and such street, um, a guy in a mask, you know, before he gets knocked out by um, by Matt Murdock. Mm. And then unfortunately comes to a, the ultimate demise at the hands of one of his colleagues, where, again, it's to frame Daredevil as being a violent, bloody um, criminal that the police should be after anyway. Um, even policemen such as Officer Sullivan. So, you know, we salute you. Officer Sullivan, but unfortunately, it's <laughs> it's R.I.P. Uh, Officer yeah. Sullivan. I thought it was a great little um, aspect to this story, and it kind of was a smaller, intimate moment to the bigger notion that the whole of the New York Police Department is maybe bought and and in the hands of Wilson Fisk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also liked about the scene, and it was it was one of my points as well. I did. I just liked the scene specifically because again, it's Matt showing off his skills of, uh, of essentially his lie detector ability, um, where he asks Officer Sullivan, "Who does he work for?" Uh, and here's his heartbeat to find out whether he is telling the truth or not. So again, we see that uh, that um, representation of Matt's abilities uh, in this episode, but. I love the fact that he gives him the option. He tells him, you know, if you if you tell me the truth, will you let me go? Is what Officer Soldier th- says to him. And essentially, Matt unfortunately threatens him by mistakenly. He says eventually, which sounds like a threat if you're if you're smart enough. So Officer Soldier, of course, uh, calls in the crime. You know, um, kind of thought he should have had a better handle on what on what he was saying to uh, to the cop. He's uh, he's essentially threatened him with breaking his legs. Is what is how it came across. Um, so. Poor Officer Sullivan. Yeah, I mean, you would scream and shout down a walkie-talkie mm-hmm. if you thought there was no hope. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be tortured. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poor little Matt. Poor little Matt. Um, Irene, do you want to give us your first point? My first thing was um, was Ben, when Ben was standing at the barricades mm-hmm. and he's talking to Blake and Blake says to Carl, don't don't talk to him, what are you doing? You know, yeah. you know not to talk to these people, kind of. And I, I was going, not these people, sorry, because I, I thought it sounded like specifically to Ben. Right. Like they know that he's this respected reporter and obviously has he has a reputation for revealing the truth mm-hmm. rather than like infla- inflammatory kind of like tabloid stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he says, says, don't talk to him. And then you're kind of sorry that Blake hadn't died when in the previous <laughs> episode when we thought that Matt had killed him. Thought he was, seemed really dirty copy yes. <laughs> he's just like trying to hide the truth rather than don't talk to him he'll fix stitch you up kind of yeah, yeah. Um, and then again with the at near the end with the sniper I thought it was actually best that the sniper was going to kill because mm. Wesley and Fisk had been talking about turning his head to yeah. distract him and I was like oh they're, they're actually just going to kill him that's the end of Karen's um, backup there yeah but yeah. obviously it, it was the cat it wasn't him yeah. the cat killed him I had that thought as well I, I thought that the sniper was going to shoot uh, Ben Ulrich as well. Definitely, I had that same thought. And then you kind of go, oh, "But is he a season regular?" You yeah, know, you, yeah, you do kind of ask these questions. Well, I do, but then um, yeah, I was pleased that Ben wasn't shot. But at the same time, I was really surprised then that Detective Blake was still alive. Yeah. I completely agree. I was convinced that he had been killed in the previous episode mm-hmm. by by Matt Murdock. That maybe it was Matt Murdock going overboard on on the beating that had killed this cop. Um, and then there was kind of a bit of a reflection moment in the previous episode as well from, um, from Matt Murdock about, well, I'm okay, I'm not in a coma, or I'm not dead, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really surprised to see um, Detective Blake, apparently, except for a cast, I think, on his arm, yeah. to be relatively okay because I thought it was a foot to the head yeah. Um, yeah. with a brick and wall behind him. there was squishy noise. Yeah. Maybe we all thought that, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Maybe we are just, just seen so much violence that we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't realise that this was just him just knocking out the cop, essentially, you know, and taking his uh, and taking his phone, which is what he did. Well, I mean, just to, to say to everyone listening, I mean, I did kind of look around as we were watching it saying... Did that just happen? Oh my god! So it'd be really interesting to hear other people's thoughts on whether they thought that Daredevil had killed um, Detective Blake um, at the back of the police station in Mm. in the episode. It was episode five, I think. Was it episode? episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because yeah, I I was very surprised to see him here, but um, well, in some ways, I was glad to see that Daredevil wasn't kind of this ruthless killer. So in that sense, it it lightened my heart slightly yeah it, it definitely would have made 
his speech to Vladimir in this episode really really unusual when he says I don't kill people and he's actually just killed Detective Blake last week last episode essentially yeah um, but yeah it's a, it's a good point Irene I think uh, showing von der Kurtis Hall showing that his character is uh, is a really good investigative journalist he's he's definitely someone that the police don't trust and certainly the police who are in the employ of Wilson Fisk don't trust and shouldn't be talking around him because he will get to the truth he will find out exactly what's going on in this case um you're totally, totally right. I loved, I loved having a scene like that in there. Also, I love the fact that the episode started off with him investigating the kingpin with his, with his cork oh, board. The, of, yeah, uh, the cork board, the carriage. the cork board of mystery, um, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. Where he was going through all of the, all of the elements that were leading up when he hears about the explosions, and that's the reason why he knows that all of these places that have blown up are connected to the Russians because he's now in full investigation mode on this. This is definitely his big story of the year now. So. Yeah, I think as well. I loved um, just it's almost like a slight side note, really. But I think using the media as exposition as a way through with the story, I think that's really comic book, mm-hmm. and I like that. Like, if I think back to things like um, Batman Year One and just how they use, you know, news reporting and so on, how say Christopher Nolan did. Um, in the the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. how in Avengers, the first Avengers movie, you know, at the end you had kind of almost the news doing a roundup of what was happening afterwards. Yeah. It's a it's a real sort of convention, I think, in these kind of stories to see that, and I, I love that media element to this whole story with Ben Ulrich that I kind of quite like that for some reason because yeah. it reminds me of the comics. Um, Absolutely, and some of the big events that they've done in, in Marvel Comics in the last couple of years, things like Civil War, Age of Ultron, those kind of things, they do have companion comic books that are all written from the perspective of the Daily Bugle, which is where in the comic books Ben Ulrich is is, uh, is employed. So some of them will be Ben Ulrich, some of them will be other characters that work within the newsroom, and it's their take on the... Uh, on the giants and monsters and and uh, and superheroes of the city, essentially, it's them doing the reporting from a from a much more human point of view. So, uh, quite a, quite an interesting point you make that that's how, that's what they've brought in and that's what they're doing with Ben in the TV show. Yeah. I mean, even just the whole the leaked images, the surveillance camera, mm. this competition between newspapers and TV, and I mean, you could even argue is TV the dinosaur now? We were talking, you know, they say how. Ben Ulrich, you're a dinosaur working for an old format. TV's been around for the last 30 years as though you know he's just back in, in the old days. Yeah. And now you, you have the TV. That, that whole kind of little theme going on between these different elements from the newspapers, the TV, but then Fisk and Wesley kind of leaking the story. Um, you know, that question of, is it truth? Yeah, yeah and how easy fact, it seemed to be yeah. for him to manipulate it. it, it yeah. It's really interesting um, how that um, all comes about in that. So, yeah, um, I, I thought it was a really good part of this episode with Ben Ulrich. And it really helped to flesh out his character as well because he's only... He's he's not been, I would say, as upfront. He's You know, he's had... Um, scenes with Karen primarily mm-hmm. and with his editor um, but they've been quite short and I felt this really helped sort of give you an even bigger sense of, of Ben Ulrich and what his motives are yeah. um, as well. It yeah. was nice to see him up front and centre for, for a lot of the episode. Yeah. So Derek, um, what's your point? Um, my my first one is actually something you guys mentioned about the sniper in the uh, in the episode. So since Chris isn't here, I'm going to take some of his uh, some of his cues, which are uh, which are some of the kind of hidden Easter eggs that are in the episode. Um, the sniper here, I was wondering how this guy was, uh, who this guy could possibly be. Um, we only see one sniper in the episode. He seems super confident with putting together the sniper rifle and doesn't seem like a police officer. So I had a bit of a search around. Um, I've had a bit of a thought myself, and uh, I'm suggesting this could be Bullseye. Um, who's, yeah, so that's Daredevil's kind of his big bad, other than Kingpin, is uh, is Bullseye. It's a character that has been around since 1976. He's been always on the offensive against uh, against Daredevil. We saw him played by Colin Farrell in the 2003 film. So quite a connected char- character to um, to Daredevil. He's essentially a character that can kill anybody with anything close at hand but is well known for using playing cards as, as one of his methods of killing people, throwing playing cards and killing them using using that. Um, so, the, so one of the other reasons why I think this character who shoots everybody very meticulously um, 
using a, using a sniper rifle in this episode. One of the other reasons I think this could be bullseye is in the bag that he carries the gun in. Uh, there is a playing card in the in the bag. If you have a look at the look at the episode, uh, we did pause it. I did pause it to show the guys itself. So um, there yep. is a playing card in the bag. Yep, it's at thirty four minutes thirty six seconds. Right. If you pause, um, <laughs> I noted that down um, yep. in case any of you want to to head back and have a have a look. But it's something I completely um, flew past me. Actually, I don't know. Oh I, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, no. it was because there were so many cops in this episode. Then I um, just assumed it was part a member of the SWAT team mm-hmm. on the roof in the employ of Fisk. But I didn't necessarily think it was in the employ of Fisk. If you know what I mean. Right. Um, that he was just part of the SWAT team and a sniper from the SWAT team and just killing. But then, yeah. He's very confident um, putting the gun together and assembling it very quickly. Um, you don't see the face at all. It's all mm-hmm. behind goggles, helmet, gloves. He's in a police SWAT outfit anyway. But it is that moment where he opens up his backpack and you've got the the ace of spades mm-hmm. in, in there on, on the back. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Thought that was a thought that was an interesting one to pull out. I hope so. I think it'd be a really nice way of introducing Bullseye. Um, to to this world would yeah. be to have him um, come in that way. I think it would be really good. Yeah. And at this moment, I would definitely agree that it would be bullseye. It's a good um, call for being bullseye. What yeah. do you reckon? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I think the good thing about it is that it may not be something that we will see until season two of the show. If there is a season two, of course, um, you don't need to bring him in next episode. It might just be a flag. It. Yeah. Just, it could just be a flag, and then next next season he could. Say I've been always around. I've been. Uh, he's been the one that's been making, uh, making Matt's life a little more difficult. Essentially, next episode, um, Bullseye comes in, and shoots everybody. Yeah, exactly. That's of course <laughs> going to happen because of that. Watching because we said that. <laughs> uh, and one other quick one that I pulled out was uh, Matt gets his first billy club in this episode. So he he tells um, Vladimir that he doesn't want to use uh, he doesn't want to use guns. Uh, he doesn't like them very much, and then picks up a billy club, essentially a metal billy club. So this is the. Uh, the famous weapon of choice of Daredevil is essentially a bat that he hits people with. And he uses it to great effect in this episode in one of the fight scenes uh, that he has. But I just thought since we since we commented on it for a couple of episodes about uh, about where's Matt's Billy clubs, of course he pulls them out in the episode after That's we just talked saying. about it. So I thought that was really funny. That Vladimir goes the short of the stick, much better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Don't like guns. Yeah, um, that's my that's my point, uh, John. What's your next point? I think just keeping with the police theme, I did actually, overall, I love the corrupt police angle of this entire um, episode. And I think, as I started off saying, there was this hopelessness that pervaded through this entire episode for decent people, that all the people you would expect to help uh, and to inform you, and this includes the media, seem to be working against you purely for, for money, and I kind of like that theme. Um, I thought it was quite relevant for yeah. some reason. Um, and I thought the corrupt police angle especially was done really well, and I didn't realise how brutal it was going to be. I mean, in a sense, seeing the the cops go around executing the survivors from the, the bomb blast was pretty, pretty brutal. Um, and I loved how it, they they tied it in to um, Wilson Fisk saying um, in his conversation with Wesley um, about how you know Madame Gao is going to be really um, upset that this hasn't gone according to plan. Um, and Wesley kind of says to him, "Well, well, what's the next stage?" And Fisk just says, "Letting the police do their jobs." Um, that's what I pay them for. And I think just that context of that statement from Fisk with then the sniper on the um, rooftop, if he is indeed even a cop, mm-hmm. but the cops um, executing the survivors, um, Detective Blake and his colleague, and even there where Blake no longer has, has a useful purpose because he was um, reckless and... Um, he jeopardized the whole plan and then he's taken out it's just all of those elements together and that angle which I just found really uh, good in this episode mm-hmm. I actually had that as one of my points mm-hmm. the, the 
fact that Fisk says that and just let them do their their job that's what that is what I pay them for yeah because he said that he has to tell Gao the truth and he did he's like really annoyed looking really worried looking about mm. that and then it's kind of oh sure this is that's not for us to worry about nearly like that's yeah. that that is what we pay them for this is like our contingency yeah they'll clean this up for us absolutely yeah. um it did answer one of my points from from our last episode essentially why i was wondering why um why detective blake got the text message with all four of the uh, all four of the places that were going to be um blown up it wasn't to clear out the cops it wasn't to clear out the innocent people which is what i thought it could possibly be it was actually to send the cops in to finish off the Russians that didn't get killed by the blast, which I think is an even better motive than I would have thought in, uh, in when we were discussing yeah. it last week. I was quite, uh, quite quite happy with that as the as the outcome. It's much darker than I thought it was going to go. Yeah, and it gives a sense of the planning of this operation. Then that the text to Blake, which is intercepted by uh, Matt Murdock, by the fact that he takes the phone off Blake in in that fight out the back of the police station. Mm is setting up for then all these explosions going on, which in turn leads to Blake assigning the cops he can trust to those areas so that they go in and essentially leave uh, no survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, really great um, sort of look at the planning of of that whole um, operation by Fisk and Wesley and just the brutality, the cold brutality of it. Um, and it's, it even kind of echoes what Fisk um, says on the walkie-talkie to, to um, Matt Murdock, which mm-hmm. is, not everyone deserves a happy ending. And like a yeah. great line as well, which probably, no doubt, we will come to um, later on in this episode. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just an offering, again, is, a, is a, doing a brilliant job as, uh, as Wilson Fisk, really, really good. Um that's that's your point as well, Erin. Yeah. 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 Um, so for me, as usual, sometimes one of my points is a question. Um, so for this episode, the one question that was thrown up for me was, "What did you guys think of the opening?" So we talked at the end of last episode that Matt is now dead to rights by the cops. If he just does parkour and runs away, we'll be really unhappy with it. How did you think that was handled in this episode? Um, he he didn't do parkour and run away, yeah. but there was a touch of the okay, and then he ran away. Right. Okay. And he left Sergey there, like. Maybe it was that he couldn't bring both of them, but he took Vlad and he went with him. Yeah, having just knocked him out. Yeah, <laughs> and left Sergey. But Vlad to had just the shot. so Vlad had the information that he wanted. So that was the yeah. only reason he took him, though. So he, I'm, and I think I get the feeling with with Matt's character he that need both of them. Yeah, but he also wouldn't have really he wouldn't have taken the blame if Vlad had been shot in the head. The only reason he was taking him was because he needed the information. Uh, but as long as he doesn't kill him, it's okay. Essentially, is okay. kind of the way he he says it. But what I liked about it, uh, if I can answer the question myself, I suppose what I what I particularly liked about it was the fact that the cops who haven't dared to rights are revealed as working for Fisk. So you're kind of okay with them getting beaten up by uh, by Matt in some amazing moves. Where he does some yeah. some proper good moves. The uh, the putting his hand into one guy's mouth and smacking him off the off the ground was. That was very visceral and very, uh, very uh, interesting to watch as a as a moment. Um, but yeah, I liked that. I liked I liked that they that they kind of turned it around. That yes, they are cops that are there. He's not he's not on the run from the police at that point. He's on the run from Fisk's bought men within the police department. John. Yeah. No, I liked how it turned around. Definitely, I think um, Daredevil could not have been arrested and unmasked. Mm-hmm. I know in the comics there is a storyline that has him being unmasked and identified I don't think that could have happened there and then so I mean I was literally going so what's going to happen here and I liked how it worked out I liked how all of a sudden it looks like a regular police arrest where they're putting the cuffs on him and so on and then um, the the lead cop comes out and says like take care of it like we were told Um, and that's when you suddenly it hits you um, that these people are bought and they've been sent there for a reason and yeah it's a really good way out i think um of um simply matt murdoch getting arrested so i i I liked it too i have to say yeah and poor sergey poor sergey bullet in the head that comes to my next point then Mm -hmm. um my third point which i loved how real and visceral the the fights and the falls were in this Mm. and 
I do have to say though that it's a positive and a negative right. for me um, for this point because it was mainly how probably I was writing my notes whilst I was watching the episode that I thought um, how the fight between Vladimir and uh, Matt Murdock occurred in that building where you know it eventually gets surrounded by the the police and yeah. um, how I, I loved how Sergei kind of was drawing in uh, Matt Murdock with more information about Fisk and and his organization and he talks about the the money man from the mafia and you you're there going you know Leyland Owsley is going to be the next thing that he um says and he fakes going in and into unconsciousness yeah and then Matt's coming closer and closer and closer <laughs> and then he gets headbutted and I love that and I love the 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 wooden and floorboard or whatever it was, the beam that he used to smash um, Matt over the head. I thought that the fighting was really visceral, real. I mean, it does, it makes you slightly recoil, and I okay. kind of quite like that because I think it it's not totally desensitizing. I mean, whoever the sound editor, the noises he's getting for the punches, the kicks, the head into concrete or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Is doing a really good job. I love. I'd love to know what they're using to get some of the sounds, but the sounds make me kind of want to um, sort of recoil a bit. Great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder um, if he does the sound editing for Mortal Kombat as well, the uh, the video games, because it feels like those kind of brutal, really hard shots sometimes. <laughs> Definitely. But the, the the slight negative is that you have this fight between Vladimir and, and Matt Murdock. Mm. And then they fall through three floors of yeah. the building. And they're both knocked out. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you could say maybe Vladimir has died. And then I loved how it went back to Matt Murdock's um, heartbeat uh, sense, I suppose, for want of a better word. Yeah. And you hear Vlad's heartbeat slowly go and sort of ramp down and down and down until you hear nothing. Mm -hmm. And you go... Oh, he has died. Because he's gone through a lot, has Vladimir. Not the explosions, um, bits of concrete falling on him, crashing through uh, three floors, the fights with yeah. Matt Murdock. And getting and, shot in the stomach And getting well. shot, yeah. A, a firework, that cauterization, yeah. which, oh my goodness, that was pretty visceral as well. All of that. And he dies, and you kind of think, I understand that yeah. because of all the violence that's happened to him. And unfortunately, what happens then is you get the chest compression rescue, mm. and then the whole essentially punch him in the chest to, and he comes alive. And after that point, it took me out of Vladimir's story because I thought you shouldn't be alive now. Yeah, yeah. There's no way you would come back from all of that, and surely hitting someone quite hard in the chest. I know it's only MTV, but. That doesn't help people. Yeah, well, that, you made the point before that some of it has been quite realistic. Like her feeling down the ribs individually to find the spot to put that needle in. Like, why did it have to be just like whack your ground? Yeah, exactly. And I, I just thought that was my only slight negative of this episode for me was that after that moment, I didn't believe that Vladimir should still be up walking around yeah. and um, fighting. I thought he should have died when they had him passing away. Mm. But of course, he does um, reveal Leyland Owsley um, to Matt Murdock after that. Yeah. But maybe he could have done it earlier as he was sort of fading out of consciousness. But yeah. I love the fights, and I think it's because of that. It's that contrast where you expect them to be hurt, bruised, battered, and dying. Mm -hmm because it feels so real and then you get that second wind from Vladimir after he's been punched on the chest by yeah. by Matt Murdock and that just felt inconsistent a bit agree agree it's weird to have a baywatch save yes. uh, in, in this kind of <laughs> exactly. in this kind of show you know it's instantly what i thought of it's <laughs> it's what they do every time you know i think there's probably you know, probably about five or ten percent of people are saved that way when they when they're drowning that they're that they're saved by doing compressions on the chest. This seems to be really unusual, especially in this episode. I do have another point about this 
this um, rea the realism of um, of some of the medical elements in this episode. But for this particular scene, you're totally right. I think they could have maybe a tiny bit more information could have been given from Vlad to to Matt. Not the name of, of Lil Nesley, possibly, but just a little bit more to set him on the trail so he can investigate getting to Lil Nesley. And then you're right, have Vladimir die in that scene. Um, but they turned him into a bit of a, it turned him into having a bit of a bromance with uh, with Matt towards the end of this episode. They become they become friends almost. Well, you know, Vlad has the sense of humor and yeah. you know the brooding good looks and yeah. Matt can't see him, so <laughs> but the sense of humor is probably more important. <laughs> true, true. Uh, but yeah, they do seem to get on as get on as friends, and he's ten, he's, he's effectively going to be using Matt to to get back at Fisk for the death of his brother, and now for the death of himself potentially. Do you think he's dead at the end of this episode? So we've got another character where he could be dead, he may not be. He's left at the end of the episode. Matt's walking away with all you hear in the background is the gun firing and Matt walking away. But do you think Vlad's dead? Well, it's assumed that he's dead mm -hmm. off screen from all the gunfire, but maybe, yeah, maybe he becomes dead. a bit of a, yeah. a, a sewer rat, um, <laughs> you know, and will pop up at some point later on yeah. when you least expect it. Yeah. Well, if he can come back from a snap of the chest after all he's been through. Yeah, a few, a few <laughs> bullets in the head. Well, 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 no, <laughs> from fence. <laughs> exactly. So, Arian, what's your fourth point? Uh, my fourth point was about Claire. Right. Um, we don't really see that much of her in this episode, but she's in the hospital when Foggy and Karen go in mm -hmm. uh, with Mrs. Cardenas. And then, obviously, Matt rings her to help with Vlad when mm -hmm. he gets shot. And uh, she makes her two comments about, you know, if you can make it hurt more, sure, you know, great, <laughs> yeah. go ahead. Like, yeah. um, But she's kind of, she seems not as annoyed with Matt as maybe she should have been. Like, when he says that it's Vlad, she's like, seriously, you're ringing me to help yeah. the guy who beat me up. Yeah. But then she comes around pretty quickly and she I go, okay, she I know she's a medical professional and she's going to tell him how to help him. Mm. And then that's it. He, he's like, okay, I have to go because Officer Sullivan comes in and he hears. We, we don't see her later. We see her later looking at the TV and that's it. Yeah. I was kind of wondering, was that on, on purpose? I know, again, the, it's it's a timing thing, like probably, but there wasn't an awful lot about her. Like there wasn't even, like she's just back in work now. She's just, she's not in hiding anymore. Yeah, they, they said that she's come out because I suppose we've had four buildings blown up in the city that she's essentially, all medical professionals have run to the hospital to help out in crisis, essentially. This is what it seems like. Okay. She's just It's not that she's come out of hiding. She's come back to work to help out purely because of the big incident that's just happened in the city. Um, I do love, personally, it's, my other points, so I'm going to wrap it into yours as well, is, uh, is about Claire. I do love the fact that she says, um, this is how you do what you need to do to keep him alive for as long as you need to to get the information out of him. It's not going to keep Vlad alive. Uh, this whole idea that you see in the films of take out the of stick your hand in there and pull out the bullet, that's not going to work. That doesn't happen in real life. To which Matt responds, I don't see very many films. <laughs> which is a good little gag. But I like that it's again, this is the realism I was speaking about a minute ago, about, uh, about the, the realism of the, of the medical practices in the show. Generally they're very good, apart from the one we mentioned earlier on. This one particularly is something that is, it's in every single film. Somebody gets shot and then they dig their hand into their own body and pull out the bullet and then they're fine. They run off and, you know, how many times has John McClane done that in the Die Hard films, you know, been shot and been able to, to yeah. continue on? Um, if she's basically dead, don't do that, like, that'll kill him. That'll kill him. <laughs> and all you're going to be able to do here is cauterize, cauterize the wound so he's going to be able to stay alive for another couple of minutes so you can get the information out of him. So maybe that's, maybe that's the reason why she's not that annoyed at Matt for... Um, for trying to help yeah, Vlad because he's going to die it's anyway. It's not saving him as yeah. such. It's temporary. Exactly. She's going to die. He's going to die, and you're going to cause him some more pain before he dies. And you know, um, yeah. Yeah, I love that dark humor actually in this scene between between the two of them where they're on the phone. I love the the darkness where she said, "Well, yeah, a little bit more pain, it, it won't matter." I, I love, you know, he asks, "Are you being professional here, or is this personal?" I I just love that sort of darkness to to the humor mm -hmm. uh, for again poor vlad who's bleeding out but there's just this dark humor which i kind of liked um yeah. a lot between the two of them i thought it was good yeah 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 definitely uh, good point Irene. and as i say that's kind of wrapped into my into my point um just particularly about uh, about her medical practices with uh, with matt so john do you want to give us your your fifth point yeah, I've called this the walkie-talkie talk, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was between 
in a sense, the first meeting um, between um, Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk. Yeah. And I love that it was over the walkie-talkie, the, the CB kind of radio, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously Matt will never be able to see Wilson Fisk. And you kind of there thinking, what's he taking out of listening to him? Um, that uh, he wouldn't be able to do by seeing him because That's he's true. a blind person. Yeah. So I love that their first meeting is essentially through sound rather than by sight. Yeah, uh, and I thought that was a really good um, thing that happened here. And again, it was just this back and forth between the two men and again, that element of right, wrong, the blurring of that boundary and you know Wilson Fisk being we're you know we're the same, but I'm doing it on a bigger scale, and I love yeah. how he just says, and this is where your part ends tonight, um, and then the whole framing uh, of Daredevil, and I thought this was done really really well. I kind of liked the the respect that Wilson Fisk had, um, but he still is totally hell bent against. Matt Murdock and what he stands for um, and you get the, that great line that it's not the mask it's not the skills, it's your ideology, the lone man who thinks he can make a difference you know and that to me um, was just great and the whole element that you are going to get burnt, the effigy of you tonight through these cop killings um, through the surveillance footage, through manipulation of the media this is you now gone and your effigy will be burnt by the public yeah. uh, because you will be seen as a cop killer. And I just really, really liked all of this. Um, and I loved how, as well, just the interaction then, it's a slight side note, but the interaction of Wesley with um, Fisk in the car mm-hmm. throughout this episode that they are both just in the back of his sedans um manipulating New York and Hell's Kitchen from the back of his car. I loved that um, element. And again, another quote that for me, a lot of this was a lot of the quotes of Wilson Fisk. They're really good. Really good, really meaningful, really add layers of texture and sophistication to the whole kind of episode that, Mm. you know, a problem is an opportunity that hasn't presented itself yet. Again, this... You can see how Fisk and Wesley work so well together. The consummate organizer and Wesley and and Fisk sort of bouncing ideas and approaches off one another. And I love that. I think that's really, like, normal. I would expect that's how bad guys actually operate, you know. Mm -hmm. Rather than stroking a cat on, um, you know, a chair in a secret lair, even though I do love Bond and Mm -hmm. Blofeld. But do you know what I mean? I love the realism of it. uh, Absolutely. You know? And one of the the points that kind of stood out to me is that we still haven't seen Kingpin or Wilson Fisk's lair yet. What we've seen is him driving around the streets in these in these three car convoy essentially. So is this his lair? Is this the place that can't be tapped because it's always mobile? You know, it can't be it can't be he can't be followed by the police. Um, they can't get inside this impenetrable fortress because it's always on the move. You know, you know what I mean? Is, is that the reason why he's doing it? Um, will we see a, a central office for Wilson Fisk? Will we see a kind of home base? You know, we haven't seen it now. We're six episodes yeah. into the show. No bunker. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, I think you will see an office. I think you'll see a home base. I think you'll see an office base. But that's not where he is. Wilson Fisk, the bad guy. Mm. I think you're absolutely right. His lair, his his bunker, are these three sedans going around. They can stop off. They can pick up a walkie-talkie. Like Wilson uh, Wesley comes in. I should say, brown envelope hands him over the walkie-talkie to yeah. speak. At the same time, you hear uh, Detective Blake telling everyone to change their channels mm-hmm. and to keep discipline. Um, as he then speaks to to Matt Murdock via this other channel, presumably that was being used by the police, because he's using the as it, it's Officer Sullivan's walkie-talkie. Yeah. Like the continuity of it is really well done. It's really um, solid, and I love that yeah. um, about the show as well. And um, but you know, and then presumably they can toss that brown envelope that the walkie-talkie is in they can crush the walkie-talkie and chuck it into a dumpster anywhere and they just they move on yeah. around yeah. and it is the, the mobile base 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just one other line that uh, that I really liked from that scene as well was the um, was Fisk's "I respect your conviction, even if it is contrary to my own," which I just thought was really good. Uh, again, showing his respect for for Matt Murdock and and you know the similarities between the two. Even though Matt says there's none, there's definitely similarities between these two. They're both trying to send, save the city just in different ways. I was surprised, actually. You know, John said about the the respect he had for him. Mm-hmm. I was surprised because, really, like at the by the end, I think he's annoyed and he's kind of more dismissive of him. Yeah. But at the, at the beginning, that that wasn't actually his jumping off point with him. Like he's he's kind of trying to get him to see that they are similar. Yeah. And then Matt is, is so don't be ridiculous, definitely not. And then he's like, okay, fine. This is the last time we'll speak. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of right, actually, Irene. I think it's definitely that um, it's almost like he's trying to schmooze him a bit uh, to say, you know, we are the same. And it's trying to appeal to him to, to an extent, come on his side, I feel. Like, yeah. Like, you kill Vladimir and... And then, we're golden. Like, yeah, we're, yeah. yeah, we're golden. Yeah. Um, and he says, no, we're nothing alike. I'll keep on coming and all this. And I, I think you're right. You definitely get the sense from... Um, D'Onofrio's performance there that it starts to become a bit of an irritation having to deal with this person who normally he would send Wesley probably to do or even someone below Wesley or Wesley would send someone to to deal with it and given Fisk rarely meets up with his crime partners like Madame Gao and Leyland Owsley that he is having to directly appeal to this guy who is a bit of a fly in the ointment really. yeah, yeah. so um, Irene what's your fifth point um, my fifth point was about Karen and Foggy right um, but there's not an awful lot to say about it except for I kind of just really felt for Foggy mm-hmm. I think it, it was more obvious in this episode that he's very He's very black and white. He's a very simple guy. Mm. And he says to Karen, it's a hell of a first date, isn't it? And kind of more like, he's, I'm mentioning it again because remember we said this was the date. And right. Then the explosion. <laughs> but like, you like me, don't you? And yeah. she kind of gives him a patronising kiss on the forehead and then she says she's going to go and check if Matt is downstairs. Oh. And you're just going, oh. Poor little poor foggy. foggy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And even like how foggy is he sees the news footage of the guy in the mask, obviously not knowing that it's his best friend. Um, and he's really quite definite about yeah. this guy is doing wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, he says to her, you're lucky he didn't kill you. He's very black and white about it. He's yeah, on the news, yeah. he's a bad guy. He's wearing a mask, he's a bad guy. He's, yeah. yeah. He's like fighting, he's a bad guy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like it's a line that's, that it, it seems like was taken from J. John and Jameson in the, in the Spider-Man comics. He says he's a guy wearing a mask and anybody wearing a mask must be a bad guy. They have something to hide, essentially. So I thought it was a nice little touch to take something like that from the Spider-Man comics for uh, for Daredevil and to give it that kind of line to Foggy Nelson is quite interesting because obviously it's his best friend underneath the mask. So um, maybe, maybe Matt will reveal himself later on in the series to, to Foggy Nelson, but traditionally he doesn't know for most of the time that his best friend is running around at night uh, as the uh, the masked vigilante so it could be interesting to see if that comes out in the future and so Derek what's your final point um we kind of covered pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about but just one final piece we've kind of danced around uh, a comment that that Wilson Fisk makes during the episode it is his comment about Madame Gale in the car. It's actually quite a telling moment. So we spoke about it on one of our previous episodes where uh, Wilson Fisk is not the kingpin. He's not the leader of the of the, the group of, of bad guys trying to take over Hell's Kitchen. He is an underling. And it really feels like Madame Gale is actually the leader of this group. Wilson Fisk does not want to lie to her. He says it's impossible to lie to that woman. You must tell her the th- truth and be respectful about it, essentially. So it feels like he's he's definitely reporting back to Madame Gale and doesn't want to disappoint her. She put her faith in him and her uh, and her resources, essentially, to, uh, to set off bombs in all the locations and take out the Russians. She was his direct partner in this, and he's let her down by not having as clean a killing of all the Russians as, uh, as she would have expected. But I just thought it was a really interesting point that he's now got to go back, essentially, on bend a knee to her to apologise to her about uh, about what happened and apologise to her for not having this as cleanly done as it was. I just thought it was a good point. You can see how dark his face gets when he's saying that. He's really just annoyed with himself. He's yeah. annoyed with 
everybody. Yeah. And he's probably taking it out in mass. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting complication to that whole um, syndicate. Actually, mm-hmm. like, it'll be nice to see how that all plays out in the next episode and on future episodes whenever it does. Because I mean, I know from the trailer there was the the there's the red ninjas, there's the oh, hand okay. maybe. So I, I'm trying to think though, are they Japanese rather than Chinese? So it might not be Madame Gao, but I. You know, I think that's I think that's connected to Nobu. Yeah, so that's what I mean. That yeah. there's a number of different elements here that even with Nobu, the people that he works for, mm-hmm. and now we have Madame Gao, and he's kind of knows that she's going to be disappointed with him, yeah, and um, because of how it didn't go as neatly as they expected. So there's some interesting power plays within yeah. that whole grouping of, of the the crime lords and the mobsters. Yeah, I like how they but I do like how they're continually layering in references to, to these characters that we've really only seen twice in the episodes so far. We've only seen uh, Madame Gao twice, I think, uh, in the episodes and it was literally a few seconds or a few minutes on screen. Um, but I like that they're continually layering in there is a big connection between Wilson and all of these characters and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of them. That's my final point. So then, Derek, do you defend Daredevil. I do defend this episode of Daredevil. Yeah, I think this is a really good episode. Um, as you, as you say, the meeting over over walkie talkies between Wilson Fisk and and Matt is fantastic. It's a really good scene and something very different than than I was expecting. You know, it, you were definitely expecting the showdown between these two when it gets to episode ten. But having this in kind of a relatively early episode for Wilson Fisk, he's only been in three so far. Um, but having the kind of meeting between those two characters and having it done as well as it was in this episode was really good. A uh, couple of little disappointments in there, but some of the real highlights for me are uh, where Claire Temple's uh, instructions to Matt to uh, to do something really brutal um, to, uh, to 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 lad, um, you know. But something that's that's realistic uh, was really was really good, showing that the police uh, department is on the side of Wilson Fisk. Um, and paid for, bought and paid for, uh, was great. Um, and also a possible reveal of Bullseye in this episode was great for me. So yes, I defend this episode of Daredevil. Irene, do you defend this episode, episode six of Daredevil? Absolutely. I think the story is ramping up really nicely. I think it, there's a lot of things that were, as we've covered, like they're very telling. The thing with the, the police at the start, mm-hmm. to, true to Blake and him standing over the Russians. Obviously they're going on an instruction when he's standing on that poor guy's leg that's yeah. trapped and then he just shoots him it's, you're, it's I don't know it's like they're they're just like raging through the buildings getting rid of them all yeah um, yeah I thought it was re- really good and John do you defend this episode of Daredevil I do I defend this episode of of Daredevil I would give it four bent coppers out of five bent coppers um, and I really liked it. Again, I loved um, the spot from yourself about the possibility of Bullseye being in this episode. I kind of liked the hopelessness of it all. I think that, you know, are we seeing an absolute low point for the good guys here, or can it go any lower mm. um, with for, for Matt Murdock and for um, Claire Temple? It seems as though this is Fisk on the rise here um, because if we assume Vladimir is out of the picture I love that kind of aspect to this whole episode with the the corrupt police angle and that hopelessness that that brought and yet I loved the inclusion of Ben Ulrich and that media slant to it I thought that was really really good and, and it's one of those um, episodes for me that had this great meeting scene between Fisk and Matt Murdock but done in a really really fresh way it wasn't the showdown it's not what you would necessarily expect um, but it's done in a way that makes sense for a character who is blind in Daredevil Mm -hmm. and it actually keeps the tension uh, between the two characters because they haven't met he still technically doesn't know Wilson Fisk yeah it is only his voice he knows and the name still. He also now knows that he is maybe overweight after uh, Vladimir gives a bit of a put down to, to Wilson Fisk <laughs> as he's right. dying on the floor. But for me, a great episode um, and I can't wait to see what the next one uh, brings. Yeah, so join us again for episode seven, which is the one that Chris has been waiting for. It's episode entitled Stick. 
Um, so we'll get to see some of the backstory of how Matt Murdock became uh, quite skilled, I believe, in, uh, in the ways of martial arts. So looking forward to that one. So thank you um, so much for, for listening, everyone. Um, remember, you can listen to us on defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. You can search Defenders TV Podcast on Stitcher, Player FM, and any other good podcast catcher. Remember, we will be releasing two episodes a week, Tuesday, Thursday, of our podcast about the Marvel Netflix show Daredevil. We will also be looking at Marvel's Age of Ultron, the new Avengers film, out uh, next week in Ireland and the UK, and we will put up a review of that um, the following week. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast or Facebook, search Defenders TV Podcast. And remember, leave your thoughts, comments, or any messages, and uh, we will try and get back to you with that and read them out on air. And you can also email us, email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Thanks very much for listening. And as Matt said to Claire, if we don't get the chance to speak again, take care of yourselves. Take care, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. Bye. Bye-bye.